Welcome to Talkie Talk, the podcast for the TheMediaBios.com. Joining me today is Chris. Hello. TJ. Hello. David. What up? <laughs> We're Brentless today, but we are fly full. <laughs> Start over. <laughs> <laughs> but we're doing the talk of fame for the David Cronenberg 1986 remake of The Fly. Uh, remake. Loosely. Loosely. Reinterpretation. So this imagining of The Fly has Jeff Goldblum as Seth Brendel, a scientist with Bartok Science Industries, and uh, he meets... I guess I'll just jump into the plot. There's not a ton of plots, so it'll be pretty easy. He meets a reporter for Particle Magazine, Veronica Quaif. (laughs) It's in in the credits. I don't ever remember them saying her last name, but her name's Veronica Quaif. And... (laughs) Quaif. (laughs) We're children. And the movie kind of jumps into it kind of mid-conversation of... <clears throat> he's kind of bragging about his uh, invention. He says it's going to change the world. And Veronica, also, also known as Ronnie, nicknamed Ronnie, will uh, she goes back to his warehouse where he's doing the tests and they have kind of a brief flirtation and he realizes she's a journalist after he demos his telepods. Teleportation is a uh, <clears throat> teleportation is a pursuit he's pursuing. He's a kind of he calls himself like a systems manager. He farms all these things out to people, so no one really knows what's going on. Veronica brings it back to her ex boyfriend slash magazine owner Stathis Borens <laughs> slash B and E expert. Yep. Not Stannis Baratheon. When, whenever you break up with someone, always change the key. <laughs> yeah. Always change the locks. Stannis Baratheon. <laughs> Azora High. The Lightbringer. Yep. But uh, <clears throat> what happens after that is he can only, at first, transport inanimate objects. He has trouble with the flesh. He's mastered that at the beginning of the film. Yes. He can do inanimate objects like no one's business. <laughs> Which is still... Really important, I feel like. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of lost on everybody how game-changing that would be. But, I'll, yeah. Keep going with the plot. <laughs> so he eventually uh, kind of has a brainstorm and is able, after some tests, to transport uh, living matter. And after uh, a kind of ex-lover's spat, which he misinterprets, he drunk and impetuously does a trial on himself. Drunk on champagne, he goes into the telepod, but as we, the viewers, see, there is a housefly that jumps in the telepod. So what follows after that is you basically see his his uh, regression into a combined genetically spliced organism of fly and brundle, which he asks the computer what that is, and it is a brundle fly. <laughs> computer is very literal. <laughs> Yep, he's in denial at first, and then kind of accepts it, and then uh, he tries to solve the problem, but uh, he is continually regressing and losing bits of his humanity, and his bits of his morphology and his anatomy are, are changing day by day, and eventually there is a uh, there's a point of no return with his humanity and uh, tragic ending. Cool. Yeah. Plot's a lot easier to explain than uh, 
Um, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or Mulholland Drive. Or Mulholland Drive. Man, that was a uh, marathon. <laughs> so let's jump into it. Jump into our gauntlet telepod. Uh, first question, was it entertaining? Did you actually enjoy watching it? Interesting first question. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. hard to call this movie enjoyable. Um, it is uh, hard to watch at times. Um, but, yeah, I found it enjoyable. I think it's a, I think it is a, a good to great movie and is a an, an excellent outing for the John Carpenter style creature horror, like body horror, mm-hmm. um, with lots of nice wet horror. Yeah. Yeah, I enjoyed it too. I think if you, I echo pretty much everything Chris said, but I do think that if you look at Gina Davis as a final girl in a horror film, it's super interesting because she doesn't, while she's alive, she doesn't win. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's no winner in the yeah. film. So, that along with the super fun to watch performance by Goldblum mm-hmm. and uh, really cool special effects for that time period. Yeah, made it made it fun to watch. And it's running time, honestly. Yeah, it's kind of a. It's nice that it's sub two hours. I think it's, it's just over ninety minutes. Yeah, just over ninety minutes. I, 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 as much as you can, I did enjoy watching it. Um, it had been a long time since I'd seen it. I think we'd all seen it before, right? But this felt like a yeah. first watch kind of on yeah, yeah on plot. <clears throat> to kind of segue a little bit into the uh, kind of maybe the storytelling choices, I did appreciate and you talk about the running time, how it is, how lean the movie is. It just like jumps right into it, especially like it jumps mid conversation. How the movie starts, it's not like uh, you know you have to you have. Veronica is, you know, dressing to go to the party, and you know there's party chatter and all that stuff. You jump mid conversation into what the movie's about. You've got three characters essentially, maybe four if you count the bar lady. Sure. Um, and when you do that, you don't have to develop. You can spend more time developing your only two characters, really. Mm-hmm. So. Did the movie elicit any kind of emotional response for you guys? Disgust. Yeah, it's it also heart. I mean, heartbreaking. It was gut wrenching to watch. Yeah. yeah, for both those characters. Yeah, some of you appreciate. Kind of, I think later in life is like the the tragedy of those kind of characters. Whereas you're a kid, he's like, oh, he's he turns into a monster. But uh, I think as an adult, I find that more heartbreaking. Is because it's a slow descent into. Um, Losing his humanity like that. And her and his reliance on the only villainous person in the movie mm-hmm. to, like, kind of save the day. Yeah. Like, you you feel bad rooting for him. Mm-hmm. He's a, He's a sexual assault, like, stalker. Like, yeah, when he, when he says the line, like, think about that line coming out in a movie that's released now. The, hey, why don't you and me just have sex? Like, no relationship, no strings attached. You and I should just have sex. Like, that being in a movie today would be, the, like, instant classification of villain. The creepiest line for me was the, like, when she's like, key back now. And he's like, I'm going to keep it for old time's sake. It's just like, ugh. Yeah. That's fucking scary. And then you're, you're made to root for that guy. Yeah, no, that's a weird emotional, like, I don't know. It's a weird turn. Yeah. An early kind of toxic masculinity character. Yeah. That kind of has an interesting uh, arc to him. Um... Was the film what you expected it to be? Did it surprise y'all at all? I mean, I'm surprised. I was surprised a little bit by the 
the the way that the characters just all lost. I don't remember that being a thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was just a. I know there was like something that was edited out that was kind of a happier ending. Like she had a dream that the baby had like butterfly wings. Like that mm-hmm. was filmed, hmm. and Goldblum was like super against it. And Cronenberg uh, was too. I think the producers liked it, mm. but he was just like, "It ruins the entire movie." The whole movie is yeah. about just this, like, you know, no way out, slow descent. Yeah, it's dread. Yeah, yeah. That's the thing with insect politics is there is no insect politics. It's brutal. Like that's the point of this movie is it's brutal. It's brutal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, agreed. All right, going into the direction, script, and story. Uh, any interesting storytelling choices y'all appreciated? I love the adaptation aspect of it. I love that, because the original one I've never seen. Either of y'all seen the original? No. I've seen parts of it. So it's more of like a monster film from what I've said. There's like an immediate yeah. turn into the fly, and it's kind of like, there's some of that like trying to reverse the curse sort of thing, mm-hmm. but it's mostly him just terrorizing people. It's a monster movie from the 50s. Yeah, The scariest part, I think, is the inevitability that the, the, the story kind of lays out. Right. But there's, there's no hope. Right. It's just slowly going to this end point everyone recognizes. Yes. The descent is awesome, and that's that's fun. Yeah. As fun as it could be. <laughs> Reading the... Uh, there's, there's so much Jeff Goldblum-ism in the movie that you have to expect that the script was not... <laughs> like it's. I'm, I'm on the IMDb quotes, and it's funny how many times during Seth Brendel's lines there's the trademark Jeff Goldblum pauses the right uh like mm-hmm. <clears throat> the line like the, the computer got confused and it decided to uh splice us together <laughs> I, I i have a feeling that that with the storytelling and screenwriting that cronenberg probably let goldblum play in the character and mm-hmm. i really appreciate that when I mean, he did write that scene in the diner when he's all manic with the sugar and the coffee when he's explaining everything to her mm-hmm. uh, i know that wasn't ad lib but written by goldblum the night before, which is neat. Sure. Um, let's see. <laughs> Does the movie have one scene that kind of stands out to you as memorable? You mentioned when we were outside, and it's not a super plot important scene, but the arm wrestling scene in the bar. I don't know if that's because we all watched it young or not. I don't. I don't know. I would have thought more people who seen it maybe first as an adult, but yeah, that was one of the most impressionable scenes of like movies for me as a kid. Yeah. It was just horrifying to me. Mm. And yeah. on the rewatch, I thought it was going to be so much worse than it was. It's still bad. I mean, the effects were very practical and good in that scene. Yeah, I don't even know who the actor is who plays Marky, who's the guy. Yeah. But his, his like, screams of anguish afterwards Crying. are yeah. more horrifying to me than the actual, like, uh, gruesome injury he has. Yeah. Um, something that's memorable to me uh, is the dream sequence. I think it's a really... They do a really good job with that. You mean a movie from 1986 that had an abortion scene in it? <laughs> with doctors performing a an abortion on one of the actors? Like, yeah. that's. Mm-hmm. I think that, that, that probably grew heavy protest. Like, yeah, it's definitely possible. But that's the common choice, too. If there's, like, a memorable scene, it's the, the abortion birth scene. Mm-hmm. Um, that or just the, the end, the yeah, final scene. The end game? Yeah. Yeah, I do remember now thinking back, him vomiting on uh, Stathis's hand, mm-hmm. and his hand just turning into like bloody goo, and the ankle. Yeah, was yeah. so bad. Did uh, 
I know we all have like our quirks and kind of gore horror, but how did the fingernail thing play with y'all? Didn't really do that. I, fingernails, my thing. Yeah, and it just creeped the shit. <laughs> <laughs> Especially not just the fingernail thing, but he pulls the fingernail off, thing off and then pops his finger like a pimple yeah. on the mirror and cleans the mirror. Is just like ugh. It's revolting to me. Because I looked over, I was watching it with Cassandra, I looked over during that scene and she was just under the blanket, so I was like, yeah, right? She goes, eewee! <laughs> <laughs> that should be the tagline for this movie. Eewee. <laughs> Instead of be afraid, be very afraid. Eewee! <laughs> um, and uh, how about any, th- wrapping up kind of the story choices, any themes you guys noticed that uh, stood out to you? Well, I wonder now on reflection if you guys picked up um, on a theme, maybe it's just playing too too close to to my life, but the um, the being killed by your work, um, like kind of an an, an obsessive professional. Uh, if that, I mean that 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 to me is like the main thrust of the story, is you know a man so self involved in his work. So devoted that he is ultimately destroyed by it. He loses his humanity before he actually dies, mm-hmm. and it's because he's so um, he's he's such a salary man, and even outside of being this creative inventive, but has devoted everything, lost all relationships. I mean, he lives in his lab now. That it that you know yeah. all, all work no play destroys you. Yeah, I totally agree. That's the over you know arching theme, arching theme, but. Uh, Something I picked up on this time is that even with that Gina Davis, the character of Ronnie was kind of assimilated into that life. Mm-hmm. Kind of like the fly was assimilated into him was interesting. Like he was so far gone that no matter what he found that he loved and brought in was... He would destroy it. Yeah. 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 You have it in his uh, his pressure to have her go through the same thing as him. You know, to, you have to go through the telepod and then, you know, go into the bar to find someone who will, you know, be consumed by his his work. And again, I mean, I think we'll probably get into Chris's rebuttal on this a little, if he has one. I feel like he might with the tech in the movie. I was super interested by his creating a teleportation device that works, mm-hmm. where you can send whole inanimate objects across the earth, in theory, that he was like, not yet. Like, he, it wasn't that he was doing it for fame. He was just obsessed with the work. Right. Mm-hmm. He already had a, you know, life-changing for everyone on Earth device invented that was working at 100%. Yeah. No more cars, no more planes, no more boats. Like, yeah. he, he understands the implication. Right. And he wasn't ready to be, like, go public with that yet. Yeah. When it could have made him, like, an instant uber celebrity. Yeah. I wonder if there is a if you play this out and he doesn't have the fly in there. If even after the inanimate objects, if he keeps working on it and still wants to keep it hidden to make the work just be the work. Yeah, because I mean, he at the end he even had it. I mean, mm-hmm. he was more flat at this point, so you can't you don't know what his you know end goal was at that point because he's not Brundle anymore. But he is Brundle fly. He fixed it. I mean, he had working telepods that could transport human life. Yeah. In his end game, he could find some mitigation to, you know, prevent contamination, and then that's just the life-changing technology that he thought it would be. Right. Step one is probably don't, like, transport in a gross old warehouse (laughs) (laughs) with monkeys just sitting on the couch. Or, like, hey, supercomputer I talked to, just like, can you just tell me ahead of time? Are you detecting anything else? (laughs) 
Yeah, let's just go ahead and say anything other than Brundle's in it, just abort. Non Brundle. Whoa. <laughs> and then another theme, maybe we touch on this somewhere else, is <clears throat> it's a pretty naked metaphor but, or parable for disease, the progression of disease. I think uh, a lot of people saw the parable with AIDS at the time, which yeah. was kind of starting off and claiming whole Something that lives and communities. Over the head of viewers now, too, for sure. Yeah. I think David Cronenberg said he imagined it as just any kind of terminal illness. And uh, I think it does a great job of that. The denial that he's in, the you know anger he has, the depression, and the um, the hopelessness. There's the concern, like, is it contagious? All the characters, like, is it contagious? Trying to which at at the point kind of prevents care for this person, which was a real thing with AIDS, as nurses and doctors right. didn't want to treat people because they didn't want to get it. And the acceptance at the end, I guess. So it does mm-hmm. go through the stages in order. Right. Nice. Um, let's go to the performances because I think we have something to say here. Uh, any standout? I would say 100% Jeff Goldblum is uh, incredible in this. Yeah. Um, he's got the nominations for the 86 Oscars for Best Picture. For Best Actor, I mean. Yeah, I thought he was brilliant. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He was really good. Um, I'm look this up real quick. It really takes advantage of the otherworldliness other of his personality. And, uh, yeah, it really takes advantage of that in this performance. I, I love him monologuing. He has a couple opportunities to shine. Mm-hmm. And his monologue about the plasma pool mm-hmm. is just like, it is the perfect mad scientist rant. And Jeff Goldblum is the perfect person to deliver a mad scientist rant. Yep. Like it's it to me it's, it's equivalent to his uh, chaos theory talk with uh, Dern in Jurassic Park. Mm-hmm. Like being able like the <clears throat> the whole thing is just is just muttered so well and seeing like you don't you don't get to see like like him truly like angry in movies normally. Mm-hmm. He's pretty subdued and, and eccentric, just like a like a weirdo. But in this, you, he has the whole range of emotions that you would expect out of someone in the role. And I think he does a great job. Mm-hmm. Even does a great job. Like, yeah, the, the bursts of anger and frustration that come out of him are, are pretty shocking. But even, like, the gallows humor when he's near his end stage of just, like, you know, the Brundle Museum of Natural History. Yeah. Or he's on the wall and he's grotesque. Was Gina hit? Davis sees him. I've gotten pretty good at this, haven't I? Yeah, he's on the wall. He pulls up a shirt. He's like, hey, what's that? I don't know what that is. <laughs> yeah. So what happened in the '86 Oscars? Uh, a bunch of movies I hadn't seen that you might have. Uh, that was the year Paul Newman won for The Color of Money. Oh, he's pretty good. Fast Eddie, yeah, he's pretty good. Dexter Gordon and Round Midnight. Bob Hoskins and Mona Lisa. I haven't seen that. I know Bob Hoskins though. William Hurt. I've seen this one. Was the <clears throat> Children of a Lesser God, which right. Marlon Matlin won for that year, and James Woods and Salvador. Hmm. So, I don't know. Can't I think really, there's a couple a people biopic in there. heavy. Yeah. <laughs> there's got to be at least one people, one person there you could kick out for a Goldblum. I just thought, <clears throat> thought he was great. And I was going to see, did it get nominations outside of its one win? Or was it just makeup? Just uh, just makeup. It got like Saturn Awards and, and other things. It was a National Border Review Top 10 Movie of the Year. Which was like oh, nice. with Children of a Lesser God and some of those other kind of standard fare. Yeah. Which was uh, impressive for Sci-fi this kind of horror, movie, yeah. and also this kind of nihilistic yeah. movie. Cool. All right, uh, let's talk technical achievements then. Um, 
we'll have to go into all of them, but obviously the makeup and visual effects is something you need to touch on. It's great. It's disturbing. It's, I mean, we I I talk about it just using like the the Cliff's Notes explanation of wet horror, mm-hmm. but this is just something that like, you know, it's still parodied to this day. And I know I'm talking a little bit about legacy, but like you know. Without a movie like The Fly and without, you know, like, John Carpenter's thing, Mm -hmm. like, there is no, like, there's an episode of Rick and Morty where they go to the Cronenberg universe, (laughs) where everything is like a, like, disgusting, like, meat pile. Like, that's, it's just what, it's it's a signature that he just does so well. Have y'all seen The Brood? No. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's ladies growing, like, pimples that pop out aliens, essentially. Like, it is the, just quintessential that yeah. you know what I mean mm-hmm. have you seen Videodrome uh, Body not. War yeah it's another just like flesh he's just obs- yeah, obsessed like, with flesh everybody like develops brain tumors is that the plot yeah part of it and they yeah. develop these orifices that you can insert videotapes into <laughs> so 80s very very vaginal and Freudian a lot of his uh, yeah. body horror but I think yeah, it's really good, especially something I uh, you know I knew about a lot of the decay and stuff, um, having seen it before. But I was really impressed with the end game Brundlefly turning into the Brundle Pod, the way the last of his humanity falls off literally with like his eye, it, the inner fly kind of protruding yeah. from his external kind of the chrysalis. Almost. Yeah, chrysalis is. Yeah, I think it was. I hadn't seen that before. A lot of things you have transformation, like uh, American Werewolf in Paris is a person who's kind of like bursting out and extending, and this was kind of coming out from the inside right. in a really kind of novel way for me. Definitely, it did win the Oscar. I know we'll talk about that in a minute, but for Best Makeup, I feel like it was earned. Yep. I've and never heard of the Clan of the Cave Bear, but it went up against Legend, too. This was... Sure. Interesting yeah. thing is the first credit when the credit starts rolling is for the makeup, and everyone told him he was going to win an Oscar. And the the guy, I think Chris uh, Wallace, Wallace yeah. said, "I'm going to win the Oscar because my name comes up first And he did it, um, end up winning it. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's it's well deserved. For he that. directed the uh, sequel. Yeah, I've never seen or really have any interest in the sequel. I don't either, but it's just weird that a makeup guy directed the sequel. Yeah, it is. It's kind it's of take, that's kind of taking your. Like your 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 best note and yeah, if jo- Goldblum's not doing your your movie, your your best foot forward is that makeup. Yeah, to kind of showcase it again. Um, after that, so let's talk about peak achievements, kind of related to some of the stuff of those involved with the film. Would this be anyone's number one achievement? And this may be a uh, something to talk about my blind spot with Cronenberg, just because he's so icky. I've never been one to go out and explore <laughs> his entire filmography. I hear you. I don't think I could do more than one movie in a row. I think it and Videodrome, though, it's, it's one of these two that would be like the common answer of... Yeah, the most quintessentially Cronenberg. Like yeah. I, I've seen History of Violence and yeah. Eastern Promises, but those are almost like a later, different kind of uh, story for him. Yeah, History of Violence is pretty damn icky. Yeah. It's got some good Violence effects. is really yeah. brutal yeah. in that, the brutality. But uh, I haven't seen Elephant Man, also a different look for him. Yeah, I've seen that. Or The Straight Story, I think Brent's seen that. Yeah. The man who does the tractor. Um, did, I think he also did Dune. Did he do Dune? I don't think so. Do Dune? 
No, that was Lynch. I'm getting no. I'm getting a lot of stuff mixed up. Elephant Man is Lynch. Elephant Man is Lynch. So his straight story is also Lynch. uh, The Brood, Videodrome, The Dead Zone, The Fly, Naked Lunch, Um, and then you really you didn't do much in the nineties. And Butterfly Crash, I'm losing you, and Extends. Existence. Yeah, that's apparently a ahead of its time one about virtual reality and gaming and stuff. But then he did, yeah. The uh, History of Violence, Eastern Promises, A Dangerous Method, I've heard of. Dangerous Method is Kira Knightley and Viggo Mortensen and yeah. Michael and Shannon. No. Yes. He loved Viggo Mortensen. Yeah. yeah. That's a uh, period piece from the 1910s about like Freud. Freud and Carl Jung. Yeah. You know? The last movie he directed is called Maps to the Stars. I don't know if you've yeah, heard of it. Julian Moore, right? Mia Wasikowski. Is R. Pats in that? Robert Pattinson? Yep. Cool. But, uh, okay, maybe we'll put... Uh, so, yeah, I would say this is probably Cronenberg's best. Yeah, I've yeah. seen a couple of those. Dead Zone, um, Videodrome. This would be my number one for him. Yeah. What about Goldblum? I think you kind of almost have to put it up there for him because mm-hmm. it's, it's... Top five. And, I mean, if you're... He's just such a... I mean, maybe not Jurassic Park, but, like... He's such a supporting role in a lot of his things that I would point to. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, his roles in, like, Wes Anderson films... Like, I'm not gonna, you know, I probably like Life Aquatic better than The Fly, but I'm not... But he's one of 15 right. different it's people. Right, it's not because of him. So, and then, I mean, Jurassic Park and Independence Day, well, I think they're, one is great and one is super fun. Again, not really Goldblum's deal. Yeah, the action is kind of the number one. And right. He's, he's a great contributing force to it. Yeah. He's just he's such a superb supporting actor in a lot of movies. Uh, one that I saw early that I talked about is Igby Goes Down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's fantastic in that. Um, he's, <clears throat> I mean, I, I think he's the best part of Life Aquatic. He's a really great character. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, so, Goldblum's starring roles, I would have a hard time. Well, that's the thing. I think he's starring role talent willing to do good films. Right. No matter what that means. I think he's selective about what he's the star of. Yeah. <clears throat> but he also does, like, Earth Girls Are Easy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's an incredibly humble guy. There was a recent um, Hot Ones, the First We Feast show, um, where he's on it, and he was part of their season five finale, and he's fantastic. Nice. He's, he's just, he is that eccentric. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> then anyone else for number one doesn't really feel that... Relevant. Gina Davis is really good, but it launched her another, though, more uh, than you know. It's definitely like Thelma and Louise. Right. I think she's <clears throat> probably more charismatic in Thelma and Louise and like A League of Their Own. Yeah, but she does she does a good job here. She's not just a yeah. damsel in distress. I think she's a pretty good conscience for the movie. Yeah. Sorry, I just want to interject. Looking at at Jeff Goldblum. Um, Jeff Goldblum this year is in The Mountain. He's in Hotel Artemis. He's in Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. He was in a short film for uh, Marvel and he was the voice of Duke in Isle of Dogs. Like, the dude loves working. Yeah. Goldblum eats. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Donuts. Uh, I can talk about this. Was the film financially successful? Uh, it was. Extremely, it was. Right? Yeah, the number one movie for a couple weeks. I think on a budget of about nine million dollars, which is crazy that they, 
you know, it's such a spare movie that they do a great job sp- spreading that nine million dollars. It made uh, sixty million dollars. Yeah, that's a pretty good return on that, especially for such a, uh, you know, like I'm saying, a nihilistic movie to kind of have that kind of success is pretty, pretty impressive. Yeah, I read some about the money that went into it because Wikipedia says nine to fifteen million. So I was like mm-hmm. looking into what that means, and apparently it's nine million for like movie budget. And then when they kind of saw what they had, they spent a ton of money like pushing the film. Yeah. Which is crazy for the time to. I mean, they spent more than half their film budget on, you know, distribution and advertising. Yeah, and it is interesting. I was wondering, like, uh, I just looked at the Saturn Awards just for the hell of it, and it was nominated for best science fiction film. I was like, how does this not win? And it comes out the same year as Aliens. Yeah, it's a month apart. It was a famous double bill of Aliens and The Fly. Mm-hmm. Um, that was pretty uh, pretty successful for theaters and the studios. Yeah. Um. All right, we can talk about, uh, is it important to film history? Does it influence cinema after it? It's always our toughest question to answer. I think it does in some of the practical effects. I think at the time showing you can still do that. Because when did Werewolf come out? Was it a... uh, It's around this time period... Is it a year after? Is it 87? I don't remember. I thought it was earlier. It might have been earlier. Yeah, maybe like 83 or something. Because I think it's pre-Ghostbusters for Ivan Reitman. That would make sense. Or no, it's John Landis. Never mind, it's John Landis. Uh, American War from London was 81. 81. Oh yeah, that's pretty early. So, I think with that movie, which is kind of revered for its effects and makeup, I don't know. I think showing that you can still do that, I think maybe translated a little bit into some of what you saw in the 90s in films that did it so well at Jurassic Park with practical effects and not, Mm -hmm. you know, computer effects. Because I don't know if this movie had any besides the, like, disappearing of things in the pod one Mm -hmm. that were, like, generated. Do y'all remember any? No. Basically, just the computer interface is the biggest kind of non-practical effect. I think something that maybe, you know, this is always conjecture, but semi-influential, I can, it's hard to, for me to think of science fiction films before this that take the uh, tragedy this seriously and can accept a downer of an ending. And succeed in the people, box office. Yeah. I think that's probably yeah, the, paved the way for a few films that we don't The thing know is about. close, but it does leave it ambiguous. A lot of them have characters surviving an experience which was traumatizing and this one you know our hero does not survive and everyone is also traumatized afterwards right but it really does take the even though it's a elevated science fiction concept i think it takes the emotions and the character arcs seriously and i think there's some serious uh science fiction that comes afterwards that also uh does that and i think this movie also gave us uh Goldblum and Gina Davis, which, mm-hmm. I mean, I always take that into account with this question, which is like, what do we get out of this movie? And we did get more Goldblum and Davis and their superstars. Yep. Yeah, it kind of launched uh, both of them. Yeah. Goldblum was around and supporting, but really launched his profile, and yeah, same with Gina Davis. Right. And uh, John Getz as well. <laughs> I can't remember anything else that guy was in, but he was pretty good, too. Yeah. He was in probably stuff. Um, <clears throat> is it one of the best movies in a genre? 
And now we have to say, what genre is it? Yeah, this is my least favorite question to call it. <laughs> but if I put it in sci-fi horror, I say yes. Yeah, uh, I agree. Uh, you know, you can you can name a litany of movies that are better than it, but there's no denying that it is one of the best. Right. Yep. Influential, too. I in agree. And the uh, yeah, a lot of things you you see with Cronenberg is is it one of the best body horror movies? Yeah. It's kind of like is it one of the best Cronenberg movies? That's what that question right. kind of yeah. is. Is like I, I, I'm looking up uh, just like articles and stuff because I was I was thinking about influence and uh, <laughs> this one on uh, oh now it's not scrolling on uh, the Independent uh, describes David Cronenberg as the high priest of body horror. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and you know this is definitely an entry on that resume. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think at the time too, it was kind of referred to as like, like gore was used to describe these type of movies, and mm-hmm. now that has a completely different meaning. Yeah, right. so it's not really in that realm anymore. Yeah, gore, gore nowadays means like viscera. Eli Roth. Yeah, yeah. The interesting thing is, uh, you know, the main monster, which is the Brundlefly, doesn't kill anybody. He maims the he maims Marky at the bar and uh, injures uh, Stathis. But no, he doesn't kill anybody. No, yeah, the only are... fatality is him after the deleted scenes. Obviously right. Taken yeah, there were some scenes out. that didn't do well that were involved him kind of more monstering around. Sure, I think that makes it unique in a you know a uh, modernist monster movie. Yeah, I mean, there's it's like no deaths except for him and the baboon. That's really it. It's like yeah. the Rambo First Blood kind of. Um, misremembered history is that in First Blood, Rambo kills one guy. Right. Mm-hmm. And you think of Rambo as like the super violent... Killed like, like 80 guys. Yeah, yeah, but no, it's just it's just one. Movie like The Fly and there's only one fatality and it's basically self-inflicted. Alright, then kind of uh, starting the end game of this, has the film aged well? Themes still relevant today? Absolutely, for themes. And for, and for the visuals, I was talking to TJ... Earlier, um, ob- obviously, practical effects are going to age pretty well. Mm-hmm. Um, that is something that you know filmmakers have understood for a while. Is while they may, and this might be too much of an oxymoron, but while they may be dated, they're still timeless. Mm-hmm. Like you know, a movie like Labyrinth with all of its puppets and the the Henson influence, like. That all still works, the same way that like all like the grossness and the and the the, the creatures that are created, those are all still pretty timeless and pretty memorable, regardless of whether or not they had a multi million dollar CGI budget. Um, and then we were talking about the the computer tech that they use, and I think they took a deliberate step to make the computer tech um, dated already mm-hmm. and for 1986, and the interfaces to be uh, really simplistic mm-hmm. to the point where like the, the only input is like the keyboard after the manual override of the voice recognition and then voice recognition mm-hmm. and a screen and a screen not like beep boop beep boop and yeah. like shit spinning around to make it look cool <clears throat> yeah there, I was there, really impressed by the tech there's none of that yeah so was I and it's just it, there is elegance in the simplicity which helps it remain timeless the pods look a little like H.R. Giger-esque mm-hmm. um, but you know they're they're essentially just like small antechambers with doors, right? Mm-hmm. With like glass screen doors. There's no like fake 
superimposed like digital imagery on top of them. No yeah. writing, no, you know, big bad corporate entity that's like, I don't know. It just, it does a good job of staying relevant by being such a simple story and presentation. Yeah, super lean. Like, if it was made today, I feel like you'd have someone from Bartok check in on the stuff. And yeah. And that would be a whole thing. you got to keep it secret. And, and it would like, be a conspiracy. They espionage. knew this was happening. The military's funding it with dark money to make fly humans. Yeah. But, it, yeah, it, it, it's so lean, which makes it, you can kind of paste it onto a bunch of themes that are relevant today. And it's so clever. Like, that's, a witty movie will always be watchable, no matter when it comes out. Because, like... He's got so many great lines, like Gina Davis asks, uh, sorry, Ronnie asks, are you a bodybuilder? And he goes, well, uh, I build bodies, but I'm not a bodybuilder. It's like, oh, I build, I build bodies, I take them apart and I put them back together. Like, that's like, that's, that's clever, that's off the cuff, that's fun, which will keep it I did like, uh, yeah, he's got some, some great one-liners, like, he, I think when he transfers that baboon for the first time, he, or he transfers himself, he's like, is it live or is it Memorex? Yeah. Because uh, yeah. they had for, yeah, like, uh, tapes at the time. I loved, uh, when he kills the baboon the first time, mm-hmm. the first time we see him kill the baboon, um, when he's being interviewed by Gina Davis, and she's, like, trying to, like, get him to talk. Yeah. And, uh, he's... Got that line of, like, computers are only smart as you tell them, and I haven't taught it enough. Like, I've got to learn. Yeah. I was just like, that's fun. Yeah. And then there's no montage. It's like, he learned it, and now we're seeing him. Right. Get it. I was just like that his first line, he goes, fuck, after he kills the baboon. She goes, oh, do you want me to, do you want that on the record? <laughs> He's like, no, I think I just turned that baboon inside out. <laughs> yeah i do like the the conceit of it it being documented which is why we're seeing a lot of stuff and why he's talking through a lot of things like her setting up the video camera that's a clever way to do that <clears throat> yeah the first failed thing is he's just like beside himself it's like what are you feeling it's like a fucking drag <laughs> yeah or him like setting up the camera to do a live demonstration of how he eats yeah it was a good way to Hello, kids. Show the third character what's going on without him, like, you know, B&E creeping in. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I, was, I, I was really... It, it was pretty much... Them filming all that was pretty much, like, one long in English, please. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, great. That, that, that's the clever way to do it. Yeah, that's yeah. Why, it's way better that's than... That's why I appreciate that yeah. rather than, like... That's way better than, like, we're podcasters and we want to document this thing that happened. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um... <laughs> But uh, just off off the off the uh, the programming, uh, I almost threw up during this movie, <laughs> and it was the recording of him when he was like, "Here, maybe maybe kids will watch this one day to learn about the Brundlefly." And he's like, "So this is how the Brundlefly eats." And then it, it cuts away from him doing. It. He goes, "Well, first you throw up on your food, and you hear him go, Bleh. yeah." And that didn't that didn't get me. And then he's like. And then it dissolves it, and then you suck it back up, and it makes the slurping noise. Yeah. And I was like, just so grossed out by him drinking his own vomit through a straw. It was a great choice to make that audio only, though. You just yeah. see Stathis' reaction to it. Yeah. And he's understandably horrified. <laughs> yeah. I know we kind of passed the thing, but we touched on some... There's some great speeches that he has. I love the, uh, uh, the insect politics. It's such a great way to convey his... Uh, 
his frame of mind in how he's trying to protect Gina Davis by pushing her out. Yeah. And I also like the, the Kafka reference what <clears throat> the fly you dreamt he was a man. Yeah. I just think he, he delivers it very well. Something that could be very, yeah. uh, silly or pretentious. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Am I turning into a 186 pound fly? No, I am a fly who once dreamt he was a man and liked it. <laughs> but now the insect is awake. <laughs> really interesting. <clears throat> uh, let's see, any more gauntlet questions? Um, how about, would you recommend it to anybody? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's... I think it is done so well that I would recommend it to people like y'all. If... For its themes. And I would recommend it to somebody who just likes horror, because it's also just horror. Yeah, they can they can do both, which is impressive. Sure, well said. So should we vote, or do we uh, need to talk about how it is it the Great Wall? No, <laughs> uh, I, I do want to read in, in looking through uh, this quote from Cronenberg as he was interviewed on his way to achieve a lifetime achievement award from some international body. Uh, David Cronenberg: If movies disappeared overnight, I wouldn't care. Cinema is dissolving and the big screen is shattering into a million small screens. Like the human body, it is evolving and changing. <laughs> Stuck on that. Yeah. Body horse shit. Yeah. Must be a real drag for him to age. He just looks in the mirror. It's like that wrinkle wasn't there. <laughs> Takes I'm, it off, puts it in his medicine cabinet, and then Cronenberg David Cronenberg yeah. National History. <laughs> just removes the wrinkle. He's <laughs> yeah. a great name. For the combination of Brundlefly. If his name was just like Seth Johnson, Johnson Fly doesn't have the same ring to it. <laughs> so that's, a, that's the thing that if you tell someone XYZ. <laughs> hey, Johnson Fly. <laughs> Alright, so should we vote? Sure. We're now doing this out in the open. Yes. Rather than Turns out ballot. secret ballots don't play well on the podcast. <laughs> right, everyone, everyone put your heads down. <laughs> heads up, seven up. I'll go first. <laughs> uh, I think this movie is an in. It's 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 got such a unique corner of cinema that it, that it is the sideshow that Brundle creates and is the perfect thing to sit and observe and reflect on and just forget about. Like I'm not saying that it's not memorable. I'm just saying that this is the perfect example of a movie that is fun and interesting and without having to throw up on it, digestible in a way that should be relished. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is, I think you kind of summed up why I appreciated this movie uh, well with one word, is it's just so lean, and mm-hmm. that it is, it is efficient and effective in doing everything it's trying to. You get the full range of, you know, the human perspective and emotion, you know, you've got relationships past and current. Um, this is something we didn't talk about, is all of the complicated emotions that Seth Brundle has with his future child. And Gina mm-hmm. Davis's conflict with whether or not to have an abortion. And then finally his last dying uh, wish is like, don't get an abortion. It is the last thing that is still Brundle. Yeah. <laughs> Everything else is Brundle fly. Um, and it's just, it's, it's just a really neat, tight package that I appreciate. And I think deserves a spot in our uh, vaunted taco thing. I would, uh, yeah, I'm going to vote for an in. When I uh, submitted American Werewolf in, in London last year, I think this scratches that itch, uh, no pun intended, scratching to remove body parts uh, a lot better than that movie does because I think it takes the situation seriously and the themes are so uh, 
um, <clears throat> the stakes are are real in the movie. It kind of acts like if this happens, what would people be emotionally going through? And I appreciated doing that in such a a tight package, where you have this uh, you know this little character study of humanity in these you know insane exaggerated circumstances. And plus, you know, I think timeless physical effects, I think, uh, should always be celebrated. And this is some of the best out there. Yeah, I would agree. Uh, it's an end for me as well. I think the movie's kind of utility and the way it can work multiple ways mm-hmm. um, lends to it aging extremely well. Um, far better than an American Werewolf. And London did, but I do agree, and I was going to mention before you said that, that it kind of falls in that same vein for me, and I think this movie is just as funny without being a comedy, which is more impressive to me. Yeah. Um, the humor in American Werewolf in Paris kind of almost gets in the way. It's almost too scattered, where this yeah. is tightly They're really funny and, scenes, mm-hmm. but they just don't fit with, they don't make that transformation in American Werewolf in London horrifying at all. Right. And whereas in this movie, I was laughing a lot, and then the ending was still horrifying. Right. And by the ending, I mean the last 45 minutes. It's realistic. Like, you're going through this, and you're obsessed with your decay. You're going to have gallows humor about, like, oh, my ear fell off. Like, it's Tuesday, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Right. So, yeah. So, drink deep or taste not into the plasma spring. <laughs> we have with us the new entry, The Fly. Welcome, 1986, The Fly, David Cronenberg, the 80s, get another win. 80s are in, another, another director. Yeah. Yep. In. So we don't have to watch Videodrome now. <laughs> no, we don't. But we are going to have another Talk of Fame discussion next week. Yo! Sweet. We're going to uh, talk about No Country for Old Men and uh, see if it goes. Would it be the newest? No, uh, away we go, in. Right, that was 2009. Nine. Yeah, yeah, this is 07. Um... I don't know. I'm interested to look at it. It also is, you know, 2017 is one of the best years in cinema. Yeah. It's probably um, my favorite year. Yeah. So this was the best picture winner. It has um, one of my favorite actors, Javier Bardem. Bardem's mm-hmm. great. Memorable uh, performances by Tom Lee Jones and Woody Harrelson and uh, Josh Brolin. Brolin. Yeah. Yeah. So it's on uh, Netflix streaming. So it's downloadable on there as well. So check it out. Next week we'll talk about it. Hopefully with Brent. Yeah, we miss our friendo. Yeah. <laughs> but cool. You gonna take us out, David? Oh yeah, forgot about this part. Ah. <laughs> Hadn't done this in such a long time. <clears throat> well, this has been Talkie Talk, the podcast for the mediabias.com. You can find us on our website, themediabias.com, or you can find our groups on Facebook. TV Bias, Movies Bias, Games Bias. You can find us on Twitter, at The Media Bias. You can send us an email, themediabias at gmail.com. If you send it, we will probably read it. Yeah. <laughs> It'll be one of our ones, uh, one of ones of emails that we get. It'll be one that is not an ad. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> please give us a rating on iTunes or whatever app you're using to uh, listen to us. Please. If, if anyone's still listening. Uh, we would greatly appreciate it. And subscribe to the podcast. And if you want, unsubscribe, subscribe back, unsubscribe, subscribe back. I think that counts. <laughs> That's not gaming the system. <laughs> uh, and a special thanks to our intro music from the Willow Walkers. <laughs> They've got a single out. You can find that on Spotify and on 
their web, their Facebook page. And another big thanks to Boo Rifa for the outro music. <laughs> They've got uh, an album coming out. More details about that upcoming. And I think that's everything. So I'll say thanks to everyone Chicken for being rocks. here. Talking the flag. Dusty yes. And thanks for everyone listening to the podcast. Yep. Living small town. folks. Long time ago. Kicking out records of all the things that I know. <laughs>